complete healing. We, sh- we, we look to man for all kinds of things to try to heal our pain. People look to a bottle. They look to uh, uh, pleasures of life, to, to sex, to people, to psychics. I mean, you name it. People looking for something to, ma- to, uh, to deal, do away with the pain and to heal the wounds. And what we find is that everything that this world offers and everything that man comes up with, it, it can only mask our pain for a very short period of time, right? The whiskey eventually wears off. And then lo and behold, there's the pain again. And so there's only, there's only one source for true healing, and that source is Jesus Christ. And so as we look into Ezekiel here, chapter 47, it's a vision. You know, Ezekiel was a prophet many, 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 many hundreds of years ago, uh, thousands of years ago, actually, hundreds of years before Christ. And, and you know, Ezekiel had an had a interesting calling in that he was, you know, uh, prophesying to his people and, and the nation of Israel had, be, had backslidden and was in a really bad way. And, you know, as he's prophesying to them, as God always does, God calls for repentance and he says, look, here's what's going to happen if you don't repent and you continue to to go your own way. There's going to be consequences, but I'm extending my hand of grace. God always extends his hand of grace. What I want you to understand this morning is that there is nothing greater than the grace of God. The wrath of God is mighty, the wrath of God is great, and we see that within Scripture, but the grace of God is even greater than the wrath of God, amen? Jesus would rather heal our wounds than to wound us. That's just the, that's the truth of the matter. And so Ezekiel, God had given him several different visions. And you read through the book of Ezekiel, it can kind of leave your, your, your head spinning. And this particular vision that Ezekiel saw, there's a whole world of spiritual meaning behind it. And I'm not going to try to get into the weeds and and get real deep. I just want to make one real big point, uh, which ultimately is what this vision was all about. So let's read it here in Ezekiel uh, chapter 47. I want to read down about about nine verses. So kind of, again, this is a vision that Ezekiel's having. So try to have this vision, okay? Try to picture what Ezekiel is seeing in your mind. Then he, God, brought me, uh, Ezekiel, Back to the door of the temple. First of all, the temple had been destroyed, and God is showing him this temple. God basically is showing Ezekiel restoration. Things have been horrible. Things are wounded. Things are bad. But God is wanting to restore. And that, that's ultimately what God always wants to do. When, when our lives get in a mess, God is looking for a way to restore. And so God is showing Ezekiel this renewed temple. He goes, he took me back to the, the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple, Toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by the way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces toward the east. And behold, the water was trickling out on the south side. So, so far what we have here is Ezekiel is looking at the temple and coming out from underneath the door of the temple is this trickle of water. Then going on eastward, verse 3, with a measuring line, his hand, the... The man measured a thousand cubits, and then he led me through the water. It was ankle deep. How deep was it at that moment? Ankle deep. Again, he measured another thousand cubits. They walked a little further and led me through the water, and it was knee deep. How deep was it now? Knee deep. He measured another thousand. They walked a little bit further. He led me through the water, and it was waist deep. How deep was it? And he, he measured again another thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass through, for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in a river that could not be passed, uh, excuse me, that could not be passed through. And he said to me, son of man, have you seen this? 
This river that is coming from the temple, that's literally coming from God, and we'll see this in a minute, that ultimately Jesus is the source of this water. It starts as a trickle, but it gets deeper, and it gets deeper, and it gets deeper. He finds himself at first ankle deep, and then later he's knee deep, and then later he's waist deep, and then he's up to his neck. And it's, it's, it's a picture of you and I in basically where are we at in that river of the gospel? Where do we stand? How, you look at yourself this morning, nobody can answer this question but you, but how deep are you? How serious are you about really serving Jesus? Am I, I mean, I, I've, I've, been in all, I've been in all levels of this. I can stand up here before you this morning and admit to you there have been times I've just kind of waded around ankle deep in this service to God. I've done it. And there's been times in my life where, you know, the, the most, by the way, the most interesting, there was they, yesterday with the, the polar plunge, there were some people that just kind of walked in over here, and then there was other people that just jumped in over here. They were the funnest to watch, right? Those that just dove in head feet. Uh, Brady literally dove, and he said his he could, the second his fingertips went in, he thought, oh, this is going to be cold. He could feel the fingertips first, right? But what God is looking for is this, this great river, the capacity that, that literally the depths of the knowledge of God are endless. What we can know about him, even in this life, and it's limited. So this, this river that he's just getting deeper and he's getting deeper and he's getting deeper. And then in verse number six, he said to me, son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. Now, this is, this is the part that is very interesting. As I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and on the other. And he said to me, this water flows toward the east region and goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea. That sea that he's talking about is the Dead Sea. We'll talk about that in a minute. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. And there will be very many fish. For this water goes there, for this water goes there that the waters of the sea may become fresh. Look at this. So everything will live where the river goes. Everything will live where the river goes. So we see this river that comes from the temple that literally f- flows from Jesus Christ himself. And everything that the river touched, which that river is the gospel. The, the love that God had for mankind in that Jesus went to the cross so that we could all be saved. Everywhere the river touched, it gave life. The trees on the side of the bank, they, many of them that were withered and shriveled, which, which represents and looks like some of our lives. Fruitless lives where we've just kind of lived our life for ourselves and life has lost all meaning. But when the river touches those trees, those trees come to life and they begin to bear fruit. They begin to grow fruit. God can take a human being that has done nothing but fail their entire life and renew them and change them and bring them to spiritual life and begin to produce good fruit in them. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance, faith. The fruits of the Spirit. You and I don't have the capability of producing good fruit. Remember last last week we talked about how we're bad. We're all bad. None are good. We're all bad. We have that sin in us. And and no matter how good we, how much we try to be good, we can't do it. But when God's spirit touches us, he gives us the power to produce fruit. Amen? But this water, here's what's interesting. As Ezekiel watches this water flow out of the temple, and it goes down and it flows into the Dead Sea. And it says the Dead Sea, that sea then began to have life. The waters of the Dead Sea were healed. Now you have to understand something about the Dead Sea in order for this to make sense, okay? A couple fun facts for you here. 
First of all, the Dead Sea, which is located in Israel, is the absolute lowest point on planet Earth. Go anywhere on Earth, you won't find a lower point than the Dead Sea. It is the lowest point on Earth. The water flows into it from different avenues, but it's so low that water never runs out. So as water's going in, and, I, and mind you, it's fresh water that's going in. Fresh water. The, the Dead Sea, the contents of the Dead Sea, there's like 25% mineral in it, okay? It's, it's full of salt. Nothing lives. There's no fish in the Dead Sea. Nothing can live in it. It's 25% mineral. If you ever been to the ocean and take in a big gulp of the ocean water, and you, you can just, that salt that's in it, just to give you an the, the, the ocean is 6% mineral. The Dead Sea, which is obviously much smaller than the ocean, 25% mineral. You cannot sink in the Dead Sea. There is so much salt and mineral in the waters of the Dead Sea that literally you could just float. You cannot sink. It's the lowest point on earth. And as the water, the fresh water goes in, it's so hot over there and the, in fact, everything evaporates so fast. The good water just evaporates, and it's all that's left is this nasty, salt-filled water that nothing can live in. That's why they call it the Dead Sea. Literally, literally is dead. And so, as all of this, you would think, if fresh water is pouring into it all the time, that eventually it would become fresh. Not, not the case, as it becomes natural waters. But Ezekiel is, God's showing Ezekiel here a time. He's showing him here something that this fountain that comes from God, and there's all kinds of, there's all kinds of end time stuff in here. I'm not getting into all that. I want you to understand, what I want us to get from this message this morning is what happens to our life when Jesus touches it. Amen? That no matter how much we try to make our life fresh, to make our life good, we remain dead. The lowest point on earth. The Dead Sea is the lowest point on earth. And there are moments, and I, I believe in probably everybody's life, and maybe you're here today and, and you can identify with this, that you can honestly say, I am at the lowest point of my life. Nothing could be worse right now. I'm as dead as dead can be. I'm alive physically, but I'm dead on the inside. Mentally, I'm just, I'm just dead. Spiritually, I'm just dead. I feel nothing, nothing good I feel like can come from me. And everything I try, people try to put good into me to make me better, and it just doesn't help. What God is showing Ezekiel here is that only the gospel has the power to heal. Amen? Only the gospel has the power to give life. As this water flows, this living water flows into the Dead Sea, he said the Dead Sea is healed, and now there's fish. Now there's fruit. God has healed it. That you could be at the very lowest point of your life and God can turn it around and turn it into something good. And you don't have to turn there, but in Revelation, God gives the Apostle John, and this is more of a, you know, an end time peak, I guess you might say. But God gives John somewhat a similar um, vision. And, and it, this is in chapter 22 of Revelation uh, said, the angel showed me, John, the river of, of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb, which is Jesus Christ, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Look at this. No longer will there be anything accursed, 
but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. No longer will there be anything accursed. So Jesus came, he said, to destroy the works of the devil. We live because of sin. We live in a world of curse, right? Whenever Adam and Eve sinned, what happened to them? They were cursed. What happened to the ground? You're gonna, you're, Adam, you're going to till the ground and you're going to have thorns and all that kind of stuff because the ground is cursed. But John said, I, I see a day, a moment, when God comes and all the curse is destroyed. Amen? Again, this, I could get way out deep in this. I'm not, I don't, don't want to make this an end time message. My point is this, is that even though we're living in a cursed world, we're in the world, but Jesus said we don't necessarily have to be of it. You know, we, we're in the world and we're dealing with the curse of the world around us, but we, through God, through Christ, can be blessed. We can have life. Jesus said this. God, Jesus said, my desire for you is that you would have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus, I want good for you. That's what I want. Are you at the very bottom? You couldn't get any lower in your life? Jesus said, that's not where I want to see you stop. Let me pour my living water. Let me pour my grace into you, and I can bring healing into your life. What a wonderful God we serve. You notice he didn't say, I'll heal all of your situations, but I'll heal you. Amen. So how deep are you this morning in all of this? How sold are you? So what we have to understand, if you'll, if you'll hang a left, hard left, and go back to Exodus chapter number 17. We understand that we need healing. The world needs healing. We understand that the healing river comes from Christ. But I want us to see this morning what that cost him. In, in Exodus chapter 17, verse 1, says all the con- this is right after God had delivered the Israelites out of Egypt. Okay, they're free now, and they're heading towards the promised land that God had given them. It says all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness, which is a desert, by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. How many of you know that poses a problem when you're in the middle of the desert? Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted and there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of the land of Egypt to kill us and our elders and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. You will take the staff, you will smite the rock, Water will come out of the rock and the people will drink. Now, the Apostle Paul uses this instance as an example in Corinthians when he he talks about the Israelites. He said some of them ate the same spiritual food. They drank the same spiritual drink. They drank from that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock, capital R, was Christ. This whole event is a picture of what Jesus Christ went through for you and I that we might be touched by the healing waters. It represented something. These people were thirsty. They were at the point of death. You know, I mean, water's necessary, right? Is, other than air, you can't, I mean, so, so long you can live without air, but you can only go so long without water. It's an absolute necessity for life. 
And these people were desperate. They were a point, had no water, they're thirsty, and really didn't have no water in sight. They, they, they come to a point where they realized they could not provide water for themselves. Now, we can't resonate with that because right now, if you're thirsty, all you do, you go to the fountain, you go to the faucet, you go back in the fridge, you get a bottle of water. So we can supply our own thirst. But can you imagine being in a situation where you are at the point, you're about to die of thirst and you cannot provide your own water? You're desperate. And that's the way these people were. And so, rightly so, they were pretty discouraged. Now, they took it too far and said, well, why, did, why would God fail us now? But this whole thing is a picture. God says to Moses, I want you to take that staff and I want you to hit the rock. God, God didn't have to do it this way. You have to understand there's a reason why God did it this way. God could have opened a hole in the ground and water started coming out. God could have provided water for them in any way, shape, or form. God could have, there could have been a, a Niagara truck roll up and start giving out water, cases of water to people. God could have provided water in any way he saw fit. But the way that God decided to provide water for those thirsty souls was to have Moses take a stick, hit the rock, and out of the rock would come water. That rock, Paul said, was Christ. In that you and I, spiritually speaking, are all thirsty. We're lost. We're, we're dead in sins and trespasses, and we cannot produce our own forgiveness. We can't get ourselves out of the sinful condition that we're in. We have to have God provide that grace from us. And Jesus, when he went to the whipping post, they smote the rock. And they smote the rock, and they smote the rock. They took a crown of thorns, and they pulled it down on his head. They, they took and nailed him to a cross. And every whack of the hammer, as they nailed his hands to the cross, they were smiting the rock. It was necessary for Jesus to die. In him dying and giving his life for me, the gospel river was able to flow. That substitute sacrifice where I no longer had to provide my own holiness. I no longer had to provide my own way out of sin. Jesus was providing it for me, but he had to be smitten first. He had to be tortured first. He took that for me. So that, folks, I remember the day I got saved. You, there should be a moment you can go back to in your life where you remember being saved. You remember the moment that Jesus came in and you, you felt that burden of sin lift. That moment where you committed, you're like, okay, this is it. Lord, I'm yours. I give you my life. I'm sorry for my sins. You can go back to that moment. And I'll never forget what it felt like in that moment when the river started to flow over my life. This dead, dry failure. And as, as the river of grace flowed over me, it there's no feeling like it. How do you explain that to somebody? It's like you, you probably heard this analogy. If you was trying to exp explain to somebody what an orange tasted like and they'd never tasted one, I mean, they've never had an orange, and you're trying to explain to them what the orange tastes like, how do you do that? You know, you, you really can't explain. The best way for that person to know what an orange tastes like is to what? For them to eat the orange themselves. So all I can do ultimately is hand somebody an orange and say, here, try this. It's really good. I can't explain to you what it tastes like, but it's good. And that moment when the, the, the healing waters of Christ's blood washed over and saved me, I can't explain to you what that felt like. I don't have all the answers, but I know it changed me. I know that it healed me in a lot of different ways. And 
The power of the blood of Jesus Christ has not lost one ounce of power since that day. He's still delivering people who will dare wade out a little bit deeper into that river of grace. Amen? Amen. Scripture says, by his stripes, we are healed. By his stripes, by his pain, by him being smitten. That's how you and I are healed from all of our wounds. See, the thing about it, when Jesus came in his earthly ministry, when he was a man like you and I, Jesus' primary purpose was not to heal bodies. He, he did a lot of it. Jesus healed a lot of bodies. And you, I mean, we could say, you know, have a whole Bible study about him. You know, people who had never been able to see in their entire life, and Jesus touches them, and now they can see. People who have never been able to walk their entire life, Jesus, that river touches them, right? Jesus the, the, touches them, and now suddenly they, they can walk these miraculous physical healings that Jesus did. But that, and, and that was great, and it was mighty, and it drew a crowd, and it got it. And we still, to this day, we are in awe of, of the way Jesus healed people. He, touched, you know, he speaks to Lazarus, and, and he comes back to life again. But, the, but, but healing bodies was not Jesus' primary purpose. Purpose. Healing souls was Jesus' primary purpose. Really, I mean, yeah, I believe when Jesus saw people in their sickness and his heart went out to them and he wanted to help them, yes, I believe that that compassion was there. But ultimately, the reason Jesus healed people physically was to make people realize that he was legit. You know, to give himself a platform for what he was going to say. There, there would come times, because see, everybody... The, people back then are just like people today. And they were a little bit more interested in that physical healing, a little bit more interested in what Jesus could do for them, more so than what he could do in them. And so people would flock to Jesus. What were they after? Food, a physical healing. And Jesus would do that for a while, but there always come a moment when Jesus would move on. Because he would come to the place where he would realize, okay, they're, they're, they're missing the point here. They're not, they're not seeing why I'm really coming. They're not, they're not seeing what I really want to heal. I want to heal their soul, not, not just their bodies. And, and we, we're, we're much the same way a lot within our life. We, uh, we have a tendency to say, Lord, fix my problem rather than Lord, fix my heart. Right? Lord, fix my problem. And many people come to God that way. It's, it's one reason why a lot of times when people come, whether it's to an altar or they pray together life, you know, is at its lowest point. So they pray, oh, God, fix my problem. And then so many times God does. He is such a gracious God. And so many times God will come in and, and restore and heal. And, and then they just kind of, once, once life is good again, kind of go back to the way things were and forget. And, and God said, that's not my, that's not what I'm after. I'm not really after my main purpose isn't to fix your problem. My purpose is to fix your heart. Right. And you'd be amazed at when God fixes our heart at how many of those problems become fixed as well. Right. On its own. Cause see when that healing, when that healing water begins to flow in our life, it heals everything. It touches everything. It touches. It begins to heal it. But God said, I, I would really rather have access to your life. Don't, if you're at that lowest point in your life, can I encourage you this morning not to come to Jesus and say, Lord, would you fix my problem? He knows the problem is there. I can encourage you just to say, Lord, would you fix my heart? Change me. Change me. And if my circumstances never change, I want to still serve you. We, we, can't, we can't give God a, a, an ultimatum. 
Lord, if you'll, how many people do this? How many times maybe have we all, Lord, if you'll do this for me, then I'll serve you. Lord, if you'll fix this problem, Lord, if you'll give me my, that, that spouse back, Lord, if you'll give me my job back, Lord, if you'll do this, if you'll fix my problem, then I'll serve you. That, it hardly ever plays out that way. God said, I'm not into making deals, right? I just want your heart. What if people come to me and say, God, I don't care if nothing ever works out again for the rest of my life. I just want you to fix my heart. Let your healing water touch my heart and my mind. Renew me, heal me, and I'll leave all the rest up to you. It's amazing what kind of healing you'll experience in every aspect of your life. Don't get me wrong. We need the gospel to, to wash over our bodies and our homes and our families and our marriages and our churches and our government. We, we need healing. We need God to fix some of our problems. I'm not saying we don't ask him to fix our problems. I'm just saying that shouldn't be our primary objective necessarily. We need the gospel to heal. But that river was to wash over our hearts and minds first. Everything takes care of itself. You know, we, we have a tendency to seek the blessing and what we should do is seek the blesser. Amen? Seek the blesser. Blessings come and go. But when we seek the blesser, which is only one source, when Ezekiel saw this river, there was one source. Came from the lamb. Amen. Came from the one that died. Came from the rock that was smitten for us. One source. We look to him and we say, I seek the blesser. The, the blessings will all take care of themselves. How many of you that are saved here this morning can just can look back over your saved life and say, I can't count the blessings. I can't count the t- times when God touched my body or he touched my finances or he touched my marriage or he touched my children or he touched me in my job. The times when I was so depleted that God came in and gave me the strength. And I mean, blessing after blessing after blessing. Why? Just because we seek that for the blesser. Amen? Hallelujah. That river. We got in the river, and it began to heal us. It began to touch us in every, so many different ways. I like what Isaiah 55 says, For as the rain and the snow comes down from heaven, and do not return there but the, but the water of the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. But it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Just like the rain and the snow comes down from where? Comes down from God. He said it doesn't come down and then go up. It, it, it accomplishes something when it gets here. And that rain falls and it soaks into the ground and it gives nourishment and it, it enables your gardens to grow. Have you ever noticed that the, the groundwater, have you ever noticed that groundwater doesn't quite do what rainwater can do? You can hook up your hose and, and, and water your garden, and it'll do okay, it, but it's still just kind of, you know, it just doesn't flourish. But you give it a rain, water that comes down from above, that thing perks up. That thing, it, that garden starts to grow, and it begins to produce fruit. God said, that's the way my river is. That's the way my gospel is. That, nothing on the, nothing ground level can satisfy the hungry heart. Nothing ground level in this earth can satisfy the soul. But Jesus said, my gospel, my blessings that come down from above, it will accomplish its purpose. My word will accomplish its purpose. 
It will not fail. This morning, as the word goes out here today, it will accomplish some purpose. My, my purpose today is not just to preach a sermon because it, you know, it's Sunday morning at, at 11 o'clock. That's what you do. This is a word from God today that every soul needs to hear, and it's going to accomplish its purpose. It, it will either bring healing in your life, um, or it'll bring conviction in your life. It, it'll help you to see where you're at with God or maybe where you're not at with God. It will guide you, maybe things that you're, you're seeking God about, decisions in your life. The word of God will accomplish its purpose. Why? Because it is life-giving. It comes from above. It comes from the blesser. It comes from the lamb who was smitten that you and I might benefit from his stripes. Hallelujah. It's going to accomplish its purpose. Let it you know what I've found in my own life is that God's word has accomplished its purpose in me despite me. That's something? Man, I, I put up a fight at times. There's times where I've ignored God's word. It's kind of like I'm like, you know, the kid whenever the parents are, you're, you're trying to tell your kid to go do something, they're like, la, 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 you know, like, close their ears and, what's that, dad? I couldn't hear you. And I've treated God like that so many times before. God trying to speak to me, trying to give me a word that will bring me life. That would, and, and I'm so stubborn, I just don't want to hear it. But God's word has healed me despite me. It's an amazing thing because God loves me more than that. There was a man, uh, and again, you don't have to turn there, but we read about a man in the, in the fifth chapter of John. And there was a, there was a pool, uh, Bethesda. They called it the pool of Bethesda. And, and, and sick people would lay around it, had porches around this pool of water. And there was this superstition, I guess you might say, that every now and again an angel would come down and touch the water and the water would, would vibrate, the water would be stirred a little. And the first person into the water after the angel touched it would be healed of whatever sickness they had. And so imagine, you know, people believing all of this and, and they lay around, spend all of their time laying around just hoping that maybe I'll be the one close enough. And then, you know, when it happens, somebody gets in the water, you know, I, the one time, it's like whenever you're, you're deer hunting, the one time you get up to go use the restroom and that's when the 10-point buck walks by, right? Oh, man, I've, one time I left and I missed my opportunity. So there's this one particular guy that, that we read about in this instance where the Bible says he'd been lame, he'd been crippled, could not walk 38 years. Long, long time to just lay there you might say, at the lowest point of your life. Can't provide his own living. Life's miserable. And all he can hope is that by some lucky chance, he's the closest one to the water. And Jesus comes by one, one day, and, and he interacts with this guy. His heart goes out to him. It, it, Jesus loves the guy. And he says, uh, don't you got anybody to put you in that water? I'm paraphrasing a bit, but this is the, you can go back and read it in John chapter 5. And you got somebody? He said, no. He said, every time, you know, he gives the whole instance, the instance, you know, every time it gets, the water's troubled, I, I don't have anybody to get me there fast enough. And this guy in his mind, his human mind that we all have to battle with, okay, this, this human mind that's always playing tricks on us, that's always deceiving us, in his mind, that was his only hope was to get into that water, the physical water. And Jesus comes to him and he says, I'll tell you what, why don't you just pick up your bed and start walking. See, that river that came from the lamb, that river that came from God, that river of grace had just flowed over this guy. 
And he realized that it wasn't the earthly water that he needed. It wasn't the superstition that he needed. It wasn't the religious acts that he needed. All he needed was to come in contact with God. And the moment he came in contact with Jesus, that was the river he needed. And the man was healed. And he cut a shine, as anybody would. Amen. He, I mean, he got a new pair of legs, and he gave him a, he, he gave him a test drive. Right? That was the water that he needed. It's kind of like the woman at the well. Remember whenever Jesus told her, he said, if, if you knew who it was that was speaking to you, you would have asked him, with me, and I would, I would give you living water that you'll never thirst again. Again, he's not talking about physical water. He's talking about a spiritual water. He's talking about grace. He's talking about God's love. That when we come in contact with him, our lives are changed it's not that we're never going to physically get thirsty again. That's kind of what she was thinking. Again, remember, she's thinking from a natural mind. Oh, yes, give me some of that water so that I don't have to come to this well and draw anymore. Jesus said, that's not the water I'm talking about. I'm talking about that river that Ezekiel saw that flows from the heart, the throne room of God, that has the, has the ability to heal you of your infirmity. Now, this woman wasn't physically sick. This woman was spiritually sick. Jesus began to, to delve in just a little bit and talk to her. And we find the reason she came to the well at that time of day, she, was just, she hadn't necessarily lived a very good life. She was one of those ladies that the other ladies of town would talk about because of how she'd lived her life. She was a loosey-goosey, and she, oh, she'd been with all these guys, and she just this. And I mean, they would, and she, she was so sick of that life, and her past was constantly haunting her. Maybe you're here today, and your past is constantly haunting you. People will sneer and they'll snickle and they'll look, but, but Jesus said, I can offer you grace that will take away the shame of your past, amen, and give you life, give you life and give it to you more abundantly. Let me end with this. In Exodus, don't turn there. I'm just gonna tell you the story really quickly because I wanna bring us to a close. The 15th chapter of Exodus, we see another instance where the Israelites were out in the desert and thirsty and in need of water. And they found some water, but the Bible says that the water was bitter. It was poison. Okay, they named the place Merah, which just basically meant bitter. So the only source of water they can find, and they can't drink it because it's, it's bitter, it's poisonous. So look at what God does. God says to Moses, here's what I want you to do. There's a certain tree, certain type of tree. I want you to cut down this tree, take the limb. I want you to throw that tree into the water and I will heal the water so that the people will be able to drink it. Again, God did not have to do it that way. God, I mean, they could have called the Culligan man. He could have come in, you know, filtered the water and made it drinkable. That's not how God chose to meet this need. I mean, it doesn't sound weird. There's this poisonous water. We'll just go cut this tree down, throw it in the water and it'll be fine. Start drinking it. I mean, would you do that? I mean, if you and I were out in the woods and we come across this, this you know, nasty, skanky water and we're dying, and I say, well, here, I'll go throw this, now, I'll throw this stick in there. Go ahead, it's fine now. You know, I mean, that's just a weird request, but this is, what, this is how God chose to do it. And, and lo and behold, literally, literally miraculously, when, when they threw that limb, that, threw that tree into the water, miraculously, the waters became healed. They became drinkable. They became able again to sustain life because we need water to live. Folks, the whole thing is a picture of the cross. It's a picture of humanity who, again, were desperate, were thirsty for God. 
We try to fill that thirst with so many other things, but ultimately we're thirsty for something to satisfy the soul. And that tree, that represents the cross. The one thing that can turn the bitter waters drinkable. Amen? And I love the rest, at the end of that, when you go and read the rest of that story, the Bible says that God then took them to another place. And uh, how many palm trees were there? Let me read it real quick. This is cool. You won't, you won't want to miss this. This is, this is worth worth uh, missing the first five games of the XF, or five minutes of the XFL game, okay? How many of you have been watching that? I mean, it's, I'm, eh, it's football, but it's just not really doing it for me. But anyway, that's beside the point. Um, Exodus chapter 15, uh, he gives them, so the, he fixes this water problem. But then as they move on, the Bible says they come to Elam, where they where there were, now picture this, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. From this place where there's nothing but poison water, God takes them to this oasis. 70 palm trees and 12 springs of water. God took them from bitter to better. Amen? And God still can take any soul. He can take us from bitter to better through the cross. Amen? Through the cross, through that fountain that flows from the heart of God. God gives the invitation after John saw that revelation. God gave the invitation, says, The spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Access. God has given every human being access to the river of life if we're thirsty enough to partake of it. Amen? Do we want God not only to fix our life, but do we want him to fix our heart? If we do, and he will. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me this morning? <clears throat> Today, Father, we thank you for that river. Jesus, we thank you, our rock, the rock of our salvation, that though you committed no sin, you submitted yourself to being smitten, to being beaten, to being tortured, to being killed, so that we could drink of the river of life freely so that we don't have to live continually under the bondage of our own sin and hopelessness that this world offers. But you satisfy the soul. And as we just read today, God, your word declares, let everyone who's thirsty come and drink freely of the river of life.